Welcome to Nice That Minute. I am your host, Darren, and uh, today uh, we are going to be covering minute number 36, uh, which goes from uh, 35 minutes to 35 minutes 59. Uh, joining me today is my guest, Joe Dorowski. Thank you for having me on, Darren. Um, and we start this minute. Uh, we're in the thick of it. Um, things have got exciting in this film, I, I, you know, I must say. Uh, we start with Harlan, and he 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 says, uh, you know, he he should have been a father, not just a provider to Joni. You know, he should have been kinder to Linda. And then he spends quite a, a bit of this talking about ransom. Um, and he 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 says a line, uh, you know, uh, playing life like a game without consequence till we can't tell a stage prop from a real knife. Um, something which I'm sure will not come back later on in the film in any way. It's one of those lines um, that definitely lingers in your head the entire time you're watching the film. Like anytime anyone picks up a knife from then on, it's like, <laughs> is that one a real one or is that one a prop yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then you know he 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 talks about how um, you know he wants to close the book with a flourish, uh, and I think that's where the minute ends, is it not? Uh, it's you know just a, it's a lot of dialogue. Um, and we're going to be spending the week in uh, in in Harlan's um, study, I guess we would call it, with all the bits and pieces in the background. Um, you know, like uh, I mean, I think other people have remarked, but the kind of the set design on this is kind of incredible. Just the amount of stuff that's kind of in this room, um, you know, all the stuff in the background. It's it's incredibly detailed. There's like lots of um, I don't know if they're like post-it notes mm-hmm. or something on the wall, uh, note Looks cards, like it's or plotting out a book. But, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, and all you know, obviously from the trailer, there's a there's you know there's a line where they talk about him starting with a Rusty Smith Corona, but obviously um, within this film he has a uh, an iMac <laughs> um, sitting in his uh, <laughs> in his study. Um, so uh, he also has he also has typewriters in there. So uh, you know the, there's a, there is kind of like a nod to um, you know this the, the kind of his beginnings, uh, but it's clear he's obviously moved on from that. Um, you know, and like I say, the, the kind of that one line, which I think, you know, it, it will kind of um, later on in the week, we'll, <laughs> we'll kind of come back to it. Um, but yeah, the kind of uh, just the way he talks, he kind of has this. We're at a point in the film where he kind of has this regret. Um, you know, this is right after the, the birthday party. Um, and he's kind of, you know, he's talking about his family and, and kind of regretting the way that he's talked. You know, he, he's kind of, um, you know, treated them. Um, you know, the fact as well that he he kind of he, he he regrets maybe putting Walt in charge of his, you know, his books and and not kind of giving him his own space. Uh, you know, a little bit of that was kind of in the previous minute, but it's kind of all part of the same thing. Um, you know, just the fact that he says, you know, he, he should have been you know more of a father to Joni. Obviously, the funny thing about Joni is, of course, she, she married into the family. Um, you know, the, the husband, you know, she's a she's a widow. Uh, and I'll, it's funny because there's, there's not more made of the fact that, you know, um, you know, that kind of what the family, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the family are kind of a little bit mean to her, I think, at some point in the film. Um, but we, we, we kind of we never really get an impression of the dead husband mm-hmm. like, you know, 
Um, so I understand kind of Harlan feeling that maybe he should have he should have been more like a father. And when he says not just a provider, obviously at this point we kind of know all the motivations for the different characters to as to why they might have um, killed Harlan. And so it's kind of it being implied here that you know maybe uh, he, you know he's cutting Joni off. Um, you know that's obviously happened earlier in the day, and and maybe he's maybe he's regretting that action now. Um, you know, and when he talks about how maybe he should have been kinder to Linda, um, you know, in the interactions in the film, you do kind of get the impression that, you know, there is kind of a, a more of a kind of a business-like relationship rather than a, a warmth, um, you know, something I think, obviously other hosts have previously mentioned, but uh, when they were, when everybody was flashing back to the birthday party, everybody pictured themselves next to him as the cake was being set on the yeah. table. Uh, like so, you, so so all of them from their point of view when they were talking to the police, they pictured themselves as being close mm-hmm. to Harlan. Um, but we find out here that Harlan kind of feels like you know he ha- he isn't close to some some of them. You know, in particular Joni and Linda. And then you know, uh, there's obviously some of the discussion about uh, ransom. But you know, I mean, your thoughts on the, the kind of the kind of the start of this minute. Uh, if there's anything that you wish to discuss about yeah. that. And we'll kind of get into ransom. It, it's an second. impressive minute in that it's just a monologue. It is one minute of Christopher Plummer talking, and uh, it is captivating, both in terms of what his performance is, but also the way the camera moves. And as you've noted, like the set design is just so astounding uh, in this space. I think any any writer it saw this and was like, that's, that's the space. That's like an, <laughs> the platonic ideal of uh, <laughs> the writer's office um, with uh, the the pseudo order as everything's, you know, j- there's just stuff everywhere. But also, you know that he would have known where everything was uh, when, he, when he was looking for anything uh, in that office. Um, it's just a glorious bit of set design is happening. And then the way the camera frames everything with the mise-en-scene in the scene, like when he's he's doing the monologue but the camera isn't stationary on him. Like it's moving around and showing us things behind him and also like moving the knife in front of him at some key moments as he's discussing certain characters, um, the things that you, maybe you don't appreciate on the first time through, but uh, with multiple viewings, you can really start to catch that um, quite a lot is being tipped to the audience who, who knows what's happening or is, is savvy enough to pick up on some of the visual uh, clues that are present in the scene um, dur- during this monologue. Um, but in a way that, uh, I, I think a lot of successful mysteries are able to do where you could have multiple interpretations of it. So like the line about the, uh, the, the prop knife. I remember when I first saw this film in the theater, wondering, did he use a prop knife? You know, uh, you know, not, we're spoiling just a few minutes ahead to say that uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's gonna be some violence with a knife. But immediately, like the question I had in the theater was like, was that a prop knife? Is, and like waiting, is that part of the mystery? Uh, and then in the end, like you, you, you can look back and see how all the pieces fit together. But you, the, the pieces that you're being shown are ambiguous enough that it's not giving away the whole mystery. It's only at the at the end when you look back, you see how everything interlocked perfectly. But when when the when individual pieces are being held up, you could see it interlocking in a few different ways. And I think that's what a really successful mystery is able to pull off. And I think Ryan Johnson, uh, through his writing and directing, and then through the strength of the performances we get in this scene, we get a lot of those moments where things could be interpreted in multiple ways and would have led to a uh, narratively satisfying conclusion. Um, it, it, with those different paths, where it's not like there's a, you're you're locking yourself into a singular path uh, based on the, on the hints and clues that were were being given in this se- sequence. Yeah, I think it's inter- interesting because obviously, as as he is sitting there and and you know starting the monologue, um, you know he he talks about you know, obviously uh, you know Anna Diarmas is doing you know all the business with um, you know giving the injection and all that kind of stuff, um, 
uh, well, not giving the injection. I think she's setting up a cannula, isn't she? So she can give the injection. So she's she's obviously you know finding a vein and, and all that kind of stuff. And that and as she's doing that, the camera moves across. The knife is literally right in front of the camera, kind of out of focus. And then as he starts to talk about um, ransom, um, you know, he says, you know, there's so much of so much me in that kid. You know, confident, stupid. You know, I don't know, protected, playing life like a, a game without consequence. And then that is when, as he says that, he he picks up the knife and says, you know, till we can't tell a stage prop from a real knife. And that, that you know, that is kind of you know, halfway through this minute is when he kind of unsheathes it and then kind of, uh, you know, sticks it in the in the in the desk. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, obviously, I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, I, th- I think out of everybody, it's kind of interesting that he he picks um, Ransom as the one where he says this, you know, so much so much of him mm-hmm. and me. Um, you know, and I think up to this point in the film, we haven't really had a huge amount of ransom. Like, you know, we've had bits and pieces here and there, but, uh, you know, he, out of all the characters and their kind of motivation, he is the one who, you know, so far has been kind of, uh, you know, just kind of, certainly in the flashbacks, kind of, he's in and out here and there. He's, he's not, he's not really kind of part of the party because obviously he left early, you know, so, uh, there's there's a, there's a whole lot of the film up to this point that hasn't you know that hasn't really you know kind of given us who ransom is um and then so you know we we get harlan's view here of of how he feels about ransom and you know it, it's it's kind of interesting that that's the character that they highlight at this particular point in the film um and then as after he's stabbed the knife in the desk and it's kind of sit, it's kind of sitting there like in the corner of the frame this is where he kind of says you know i don't fear death uh, but God, I'd like to fix some of this before I go close the book with a flourish. Um, and I think he says, I guess we'll see just kind of, he's kind of cut yeah. off a little bit just as, as you know, the minute finishes. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that uh, given what's going to happen in the next few, few minutes, um, obviously, you know, the, the, you know, it's not like this is a documentary or anything, but you know, just, this is the kind of the fact that uh, this is something that he kind of brings up here. Um, as he's talking to Marta, I'm sure this is not just it's not just this kind of, you know, obviously this is a birthday party. So maybe that is when you kind of think about, you know, your legacy and, and you know, your life and stuff. So, you know, maybe some of that's on his mind. But I get the feeling that this is uh, this is not a, a speech he's given once, like the whole I don't fear death thing. I think that's something that he's probably it, it feels like it's something that he's probably brought up with Marta a few times, you know, because they are so close and they do have to kind of, you know, she does have to kind of administer these drugs that are kind of keeping him alive. And so, you know, that is obviously a, a thought that's on his mind. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if he you know has a bit to drink and this is probably something that he kind of <laughs> keeps coming back to. And he's probably said it more than once. Um, but obviously for the for the viewer, this is, you know, this is important um, in terms of what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Really interesting about Ransom, as you've pointed out, like we, we've seen flashes of him at the party and here we're getting a monologue about him, but we haven't really gotten to know him as a character. And as far as like the meta relationship that the audience has with chris evans in that role and having seen him like he's uh, this cast is all phenomenal but he's the one that was just in some of the biggest films in box office history right you know like he is uh one of the most recognizable in a cast again of a fantastic cast uh and and i think that's one of the greatest strengths of this film is the ensemble that they were able to put together and how well they all just fully embrace their roles and, and and in terms of Chris yeah. Evan embracing his role, you know, playing against type, you know, with the character who's just going to start swearing up a storm at a family in the middle of a fight, um, you know, that's that's not Steve Rogers that we've all come to know him as <laughs> across, um, you know, the Marvel epic uh, cinematic universe. So, um, but to, to only have had glimpses of him, I think 
Ryan Johnson had to know the audience is gonna be super curious about Ransom. Uh, and I, I think there's some meta playfulness in, um, yes, this is the narrative that's that fits for him to have stormed out, but to have just given us glimpses of the 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 star of some of the biggest films in box office history and not yet really dug into that character yet, you know that's gonna have you know have the audience wanting to know more about this character. I mean, he, I mean, in 2019, um, Endgame was the biggest film, not just of that year, but mm-hmm. of all time. It surpassed, you know, it surpassed Avatar. Who the hell went to see Avatar? <laughs> Who wants to see Avatar 2? Those are questions that are not for this podcast, but seriously, like, um, yeah. So it, it, it is, it is, it is kind of, it's kind of insane that obviously I think before we really kind of get to meet Ransom yet, yeah, I think Ryan Johnson is playing a little bit on the fact that for the last 10 years, Everyone has known him as Captain America, um, you know. And fun fact, uh, Captain America is one of the only characters to have appeared in a film every single year in the entire decade um, from 2010 through to 2019 uh, because he made cameos in like Spider-Man and stuff like that. So um, more than more than Tony Stark or, you know, Thor, uh, Captain America was like the one character who, you know, when he wasn't in his own films, he was... Yeah, I was gonna say no, but then films. I was like, "Oh, so, he did do the, like the the PSA announcements in the in the high school, <laughs> in, in the Spider-Man yeah. film." So yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, which 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 of course has the has the thing where um, Martin Starr says, uh, "I think this guy's like a war criminal now or something," which is just like such a great kind of line. <laughs> but they've obviously just got the PSAs recorded with Captain America, so they're just gonna play them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think the audience is is kind of waiting for Captain America. That is like one of the big. I, th- I would say one of the big draws of the film, uh, which is not to put down Christopher Plummer. This is actually the first episode I think that's being recorded uh, that comes out after his death. All the other episodes that were recorded previously at this point, uh, the hosts have praised Christopher Plummer and his performance, but I think they were all recorded before his uh, his recent death. Um, so this is like I think probably his, is this his final film? I think it is. Um, I mean, I don't want to get open IMDb and, and check, but I, I don't think he did any major films after this. I would say major film role if he did do any small things after this. But, um, you know, he, I mean, obviously he wasn't a young man. He, was, he wasn't really that much of a young man in Sound of Music. Uh, and that was <laughs> like 50 years ago. So, um, yeah, so he, he, it feels to me like he's been perpetually middle aged for the entire time that I've ever known Christopher <laughs> Plummer existing as an actor. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a it's a great performance, and what I like as well is um, he's the victim, but obviously fifty percent of this film is flashback, so you get to you get to see so much of Harlan um, from from the point of view of the people through their flashbacks. Uh, but then in this case, you know this this is this is kind of the only flashback that is the reality uh, of what happened that night. Every other flashback before this, it, it, like I said, you know people keep imagining themselves. Uh, you know, always sitting next to him when the cake was delivered. So, you know, this is this is the the reality of what happened that night. Even though, of course, it is done as like Marta's flashback. Um, but you know, th- right. this is this is. But she's she's the reliable narrator. Yes, yeah, and I, you know, because if she was unreliable, she'd be throwing up. Um, so, <laughs> you know that that yeah, like you know, Ryan Johnson has very cleverly framed Marta as not only uh, like the innocent, but also. Um, you know, she's to be trusted, you know, and, and we've, we've had that kind of gradually built up through the questioning with Benoit Blanc and, you know, the kind of the different, you know, obviously all the motivations that he found out from the family, he then questioned Marta about to get further information just to see if he could make a throw up. Um, so, you know, this, this is, this is kind of the unvarnished truth. Um, of what happened on, on that night. And obviously we'll go into it more in the next few minutes because of, you know, this is, 
uh, you know, we, we're, we're in this study room for the next five minutes, um, yeah. you know, uh, but this is this is kind of on, this is uh, this is the reveal this week, you know, like uh, as, as a viewer, you've kind of had different versions of who might have wanted to kill him, you know, why Joni might have wanted to kill him, you know, why other people might have wanted to kill him, uh, you know, so we've we've had we've had those different motivations, you know, Richard, you know, because of the affair. Um, you know, Walt, because of the you know the the argument over the TV rights. You know, we've we've had all those different motivations. This week, we're actually going to find out what actually happened that night, and then also why it's a mystery. Because obviously, you know, up until this point, it's just a guy who killed himself rather dramatically. I mean, he says go out with a flourish, and um, that <laughs> that was what he did. Uh, you know, we, we've got that, but. He, you know what what we're, what we're kind of going to get into this week mostly is going to be um you know we're in this we're in this study and it, it's going to be what actually happened and the kind of the reason why um you know he took those steps and the reason why Marta uh hasn't been lying so much as withholding information <laughs> um and obviously that will also for the second kind of you know for the next third of the film it will provide the motivation as to why she does certain things um we'll say without spoiling too much um, so is there anything else that you feel we need to cover from this p- specific minute? Uh, no, I mean, we're going to be living in this space for the, the rest of this week. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think as far as uh, the monologue, again, just praise the uh, the performance and uh, the, the framing. Uh, of monologues on film can sometimes, they, they don't get too inventive. And this one, or sometimes they get too inventive. And I think this one strikes a nice balance of keeping a little bit of motion with the camera, keeping it visually interesting with what's being shown, uh, but also allowing uh, the performance itself uh, to really be what's carrying the minute. Yeah. I mean, imagine if Michael Bay had covered this. This would have been a 360 camera bumping into another 360 camera as Harlan kind of yeah. stood from his seat. But also we've seen versions where it's just a slow zoom in on a face, which yeah. can be effective, but also sometimes it's like we have the tools of the fil- uh, a film. This yeah. isn't just a stage performance. You I, know, what we get? And I think this one strikes a really nice balance. I mean, you know, let's let's imagine it being shot like uh, Frank T.J. Mackey in uh, Magnolia with that really kind of tight, angry close-up. I mean, it would be a completely different intensity. Um, but uh, mentioning the film uh, quite a lot, as we have up to this point, uh, let's just ask, did you actually see it in the cinema? Um yeah, I did go see it. Uh, I think I saw it opening weekend, and it was a it was a packed house, which always gives uh, a good energy to uh, the, you know that your first engagement with with a text. I think that kind of communal viewing can really change um, how how you take away versus um, you know if you're watching it by yourself on your iPhone <laughs> while you're cooking dinner. You know, it, it's gonna be a wildly different experience. So be be in a room with everyone fully engaged, which obviously recording this in march 2021 i have not had that experience again in a very long time this may i think about it i think this may have been the last film i saw in theaters yeah uh before that that is true that is uh, true for a lot of people uh, who have been guests and hosts yeah. on this that it, it was one of the final yeah. films I saw. now that i'm just thinking through i think it was i think my wife got out to go see little women before uh the pandemic but you know not knowing the pandemic was on the horizon i think that so it's not the last one that she saw but it's the last one that i saw um in, in theaters and i love that uh you know when an audience is fully engaged and it's a packed house and uh you you get all the emotional beats feel feel heightened uh you know like because it's it's a shared experience that's happening right then and uh this film has um a a range of whether it's uh you know the laughter of the first time that you realize that everyone is is uh telling a different version of themselves next to harlan with the cake or the uh you know the moments of shock uh and even a couple like jump jump scare moments that really 
the, the that theater experience, I think, um, heightened everything for me. I, I also, I think I saw it actually a couple of days before it opened because there was like a, a special preview at my cinema. And it was it was quite full. I don't know if it was completely full because I think there was still, you know, some seats down the front where you have to like angle your neck at a painful angle. So, you know, some of those were still empty. But it was, mo- you know, I do remember... Actually, <laughs> I went and saw it with a friend and there was a guy in the cinema who laughed at everything. He laughed at everything, even when it wasn't funny. And after a while, uh, to start off with, it was irritating. But after a while, you were just like, clearly this guy's just... I don't know, super high or, or what? But he was just laughing. He was just laughing at everything, and it was like a really kind of animated. It was a laugh like this. I'm going to move away from my recorder so it's not too loud. It was kind of like, <laughs> like at every single joke, and it was it was two hours of that basically. Uh, but a kind of you know, it, it, in the end, it kind of blended into the background as background noise. Um, but yeah, no, I I uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of cinema, and I do like a, a packed house. And I will tell you this: uh, there are three films that I saw on the opening Fridays when they came out. Uh, that were all jam like literally sold out screenings and probably the best three kind of like cinema experiences of the last decade and that was the 50 shades trilogy and i tell you that was it was insane like you because you're talking a cinema full i mean obviously with knives out you know you, you it's people who want to see the film uh but with 50 shades it was people who had read those books and were you know in you know extremely invested in the kind of casting you know hashtag not my christian and you know it it was electric to be kind of in a sold out screening um and that is what i miss about the cinemas not being open and stuff like that you know it's like uh and and it was you know like i say it was a pretty good reaction for knives out minute uh the only regret i have is i didn't really go back and see it a second time at the cinema but at the time there was a lot there was a lot of stuff out um you know if you remember the end of 2019 it was uh there was quite a lot of stuff um so you know i just didn't really get the chance to kind of go back and see it because i was pretty much seeing every other film that was out um yeah and then i mean it's almost exactly a year since uh, the cinemas over here originally closed down for lockdown they did actually reopen last summer for like two months uh in an attempt to you know kind of there was a lot of like re-releases of classic stuff the final film that i saw at the cinema before it closed back down was a was a 4k release of akira uh which i'd never seen on the big screen so that was great to kind of you know see on the big screen again um but yeah you know i it was uh it was kind of a great experience to and i think also uh, kind of you know this i would say i would kind of remember this part of the film because the kind of tension of what happens but you know we'll get into that in later minutes um and uh so before we go uh let's get to plugs is there anything that you wish to plug joe uh yeah i host a podcast called the protagonist podcast where each week we talk about a great character in a great story and each month we try and cycle through talking about a book a comic book a tv show and a film and some of the great characters that are in there uh and if you uh enjoy dissecting uh great pop culture texts then that is a podcast you might want to go check out and it's called the protagonist podcast and where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Jay Dorowski on Twitter. That's just J and then my last name, D-A-R-O-W-S-K-I. And you can find us on Twitter at Knives Out Minute. I'm always a fan of when I manage to get, uh, you know, uh, the actual handle um, of the podcast that I'm doing. Um, so that's quite helpful. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, if if you are listening to this, then please do subscribe and rate and review uh, wherever that stuff happens these days. I mean, there's so many so many platforms it's kind of ridiculous um you know you can also find me uh in a couple of weeks time uh i think or maybe 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 about eight weeks time uh i'm going to be going through all of tom hanks's films in a podcast called t hanks for the memories um so you can find that around 
Um, I don't, I'm not sure that the social media is really going for that yet, but, you know, uh, take a look into it. Or if you want to listen to me yammer on about Prince for 600-something episodes, then you can always find me, uh, Prince Track by Track. And the Twitter handle for that is Prince Podcast. So, you know, that, that was a get. Um, so thanks for joining me today, Joe. Thank you for having me on. And we will see you all tomorrow. Uh, this is the point where everything's going to start to fade out. So. Uh,